So Dan, how are you feeling? You've been a bit under the weather in the last few weeks. I'm good, actually. I'm fine now, but had a couple of tough weeks. I mean, as I said before, for those listeners following along, our little one, Leo, started at nursery probably three weeks ago now, and he's just brought back virus after virus. I've been laid out a good couple of times. I thought I was through it, got hit again, fevers, everything. So what, Dan, you're after a medal, are you? I'll take a medal, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just about to do that. You'll take the medal. I'm sure a lot of listeners can sympathise, seeing a lot of news about the sort of October back-to-school colds going around. How are you getting on? Yeah, well, I have to say, Dan, you and fellow parents at LCP must have given me something because I'm feeling a bit under the weather this morning, but I'm not going to ask for a medal just yet. We'll see how we go. But it is interesting, actually, because I woke up this morning and thought I've got a bit of a sore throat and a bit of a kind of sneezy nose. Obviously, step one, take a COVID test, which is a big change in behaviour for very obvious reasons. But I was definitely, so five years ago, if I had a cold, I would just muddle through, I'd come into work. Some people would say probably shouldn't have ever been doing that because you will pass that cold around. But I thought, well, I'm not that sick and I can still work and I can't work from home. So I'll just continue with my normal life and I won't let the bug get me down. And this morning I thought, well, I can work from home and other people won't thank me for going in with a cold, partly because they'll think it's COVID. It's actually probably has permanently changed my behaviour when I get a bit run down. So I thought that was a bit interesting, but... That's good. That's a positive. I hope you feel better soon. Thank you. Welcome to Investment Uncut. In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis. And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com. Today on Investment Uncut, we are talking impact investing. Joining us for that conversation, delighted to welcome Karen Shackleton from Pensions for Purpose. Karen, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the show. Before we kick off, could you give us a feel for your role at Pensions for Purpose? My role is founder, set up Pensions for Purpose four years ago in October 2017, and I'm a director of the company. I tend to work half of the week on Pensions for Purpose and half of the week on my other roles, which if you're interested, I'm independent investment advisor to three local authority pension funds, and I've got two non-exec directorships as well. Wow. So really interesting perspective, I'm sure, on the investment world generally. But we'll get into your journey in setting up Pensions for Purpose, hopefully a little bit more later. Just before we do that, Karen, I mean, one thing we always like to ask our guests, what's one thing we should know about you that we wouldn't find on your CV? So when I was five, my ambition was to become a bareback circus horse rider. When I was 17, my ambition was to marry a Frenchman and become an interpreter. When I was 24, my ambition was to become a director. I was in finance by now. Circus horse riding had gone by the side. It was to become a director by the age of 30. And then at the age of about 33, I had a bit of an epiphany. I realized I wanted to do something more than just going into the office every day, which was at London Bridge. And I wanted to be free to decide how, when, and where I worked. And it was the start of my portfolio career. And in setting Pensions for Purpose up, I actually realized that I could offer that empowerment, that freedom to other people as well. So the thing that you don't see on my CV is about what I believe in. And I really strongly think that people, if they have your trust, and if you give them flexibility as to how, when, and where they work, that you get so much more back And we've got a really strong and positive culture at Pensions for Purpose. And that's something I really want to nurture. Fantastic. And I suppose 
the last 18 to 20 months has really taught us that, hasn't it? In terms of you give people more freedom, you give people more ability, you're much more accommodating of different people's different needs. And actually, I think a lot of us have discovered that people work in very different ways. And actually, that's the right thing for different people. Absolutely. And we've always been an online platform. So at the start of lockdown, people were very covetous of my office chair, which I had had for many years already. (laughs) But I think that we're one of these companies that's been blessed to do well in the pandemic because we were already set up to have an online presence so have built on that. And did you ever go back to any of the sort of circus desires that you had in the early part of your life? Well at one point in our family we did have a unicycle but I was absolutely hopeless at that so (laughs) I have also tried those things that you spin I'm not quite sure they've got a name you have a bit of rope with two sticks and you have to throw it up in the air and catch it and I'm pretty useless at that as well I could walk on stilts for quite a long time as a child I don't suppose I could do that now I suppose one of the messages there and what you just said is how much one's goals and aspirations change over time that's one thing that's clear there absolutely and I think I mean to anybody that hasn't sort of really worked out what they want to do with their career I would say stick with it because the experiences that you're getting along the way were all building to whatever you ultimately decide to do in life. Absolutely. That is a really good point actually it's something that I find myself saying to people like graduates and people earlier in their career when I speak to them there can be a lot of focus on trying to map it all out but there's something to be said for accumulating the experience and kind of waiting for that sort of epiphany which I think is something that a lot of people do have you do have these big moments of realization where you sort of change direction on what have you. And it's okay not to have a huge game plan at the start of your career. I certainly didn't have one myself. I used to stop on London Bridge. There'd be queues of people behind me because of course everybody's in a bit of a sausage machine going along London Bridge in rush hour. It used to be something I had to do was to stop and look at the view. And it was just my sort of rebellion, I think, to everything that was going on around me. Karen, we wanted to talk a little bit about your journey of aligning your career with impact investing. You've already obviously alluded to that a little bit, but how would you reflect on the period of time more recently? So you said you founded Pensions for Purpose in 2017. How would you reflect on how things have changed over that period of time? Clearly, it's been an extraordinary period of time to be in that sort of field. Yes. I mean, talk about being in the right place at the right time in that I sort of compared it with what I saw when I was starting out in the city in the early 1980s, when passive management was just taking off and it was like a sort of touch light and suddenly everybody was talking about it. It was like I had this really strong sense of deja vu with pensions for purpose being launched that suddenly everybody wanted a piece of the action. And I was hugely grateful to the, I think it was about 17 firms and pension funds who backed us from day one in terms of what we were trying to do, because without them, we wouldn't have been able to launch it. But it's absolutely about aligning your career with your beliefs. And this is sort of the pinnacle of my career, really. I can't stop talking enthusiastically about pensions for purpose for that reason. I think what I would say is that it fits very much with my Christian faith. It's not just about helping those in need, social impact, but I strongly believe that we are stewards of this fantastic earth that we live in for future generations. And so we'd better pull a finger out today to protect it. And that's certainly true of climate change, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So I suppose you had that huge amount of support on day one. Have you found that almost the rhetoric has changed even just in that four years since Pensions for Purpose was launched? So when we set up, I think the people, the asset managers who supported us were all coming from the impact space. 
One of the reasons the Pensions for Purpose was set up was that I had run a two-day event at something called The Gathering, which was a meeting of social investors and impact managers, charities, foundations. And we had looked at what was stopping pension funds from allocating to impact. And one of the things that these small niche impact managers said was, we don't have a voice against the very large firms. And so I said, well, let's work collaboratively to try and make your voice heard. And so we started out with these impact firms who absolutely understood impact, but maybe didn't have the pointy elbows of the larger fund managers and the ability to sort of spin the sales pitch. That sounds terribly rude about large fund managers. (laughs) I do apologize because they have their strengths as well. And what we found was that when this touchlight sort of got lit and exploded, that suddenly it was the large asset managers who were wanting to join the bandwagon. And so I could see the different perspectives and was able to help both sides, actually. I mean, with the impact specialists to sort of say, look, this is what you need to do. You need to talk in language that the pension funds will understand. The large firms were already very, very good at doing that, but they needed to sort of think about how they communicated impact alongside those financial returns that they were delivering. Yeah, because it feels like over that period of time, it's gone from, like you say, quite a niche thing where you've just got some sort of niche managers looking at it and it being one particular area over towards one sort of side of the investing world. So to almost being reframing the whole conversation of how we think about investing, maybe, I mean, I might be going a bit far by saying that, but that feels like where it is or where it's going, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's lots and lots of talk about purpose, isn't there? And how do we bring purpose into what do we do? What you shouldn't forget is that every investment has an impact. It's just not always positive impact and it's not always intentional impact. And that's what I really like about impact investment as a term is that here you are very intentional about what you do and you're trying to have a positive impact on society or the environment. So it really resonates well with me. I think you've probably just given us a pretty good version of this, Karen, but I was going to ask you next to almost sort of take a step back and give us, if you like, the elevator pitch for impact investing. So in a nutshell, what are you trying to achieve? How does one go about starting to think about it? As I said before, I mean, I think all investment has an impact on society or the environment. Impact investment actually allows you to invest in opportunities that aren't just delivering that financial return, but also which are going to have a positive impact on society or the environment. And they also have lots of other attractive features such as secure income or genuine diversification benefits. And it creates a fantastic commentary for your members, which results in positive engagement with the pension fund. So what's not to like? How would you help someone sort of new to the area sort of navigate it a little bit and how they should think about it? I mean, you talked a second ago, the difference between the sort of niche managers and the bigger managers. How would you help someone understand what's going on there and sort out the signal from the noise, if you like? I don't know whether I'm allowed to plug pensions for purpose or not, but (laughs) we set up with that exact challenge in mind. And we've now got about 2,000 articles on ESG, sustainable and impact investment, ranging from blogs, research, case studies, and lots more from a variety of different asset managers, consultants, and lawyers. And we also now run forum discussions so that we can engage with each other. So we have all stakeholder discussions where everybody gets together to talk about a particular topic. We have asset owner specific events where asset pension funds can get together to share experiences. And I'm so pleased that LCP is already a member because otherwise I would be encouraging you to join too. (laughs) So I think as well as pensions purpose, because it's not the only solution in life, is it? I think conversations with your investment consultant can actually be really valuable if you're an investor. But it is all about just 
learning, reading, talking, sharing for me. So get that education. Think about the due diligence before you invest in impact investment and think about how to get advice on how to bring purpose into the risk return strategic modelling. What a great point, but that's not exactly easy, is it? And I guess things that are hard often just get ignored and just don't get done, basically. And that's how I would sort of reflect on what sort of happened over the years. And I mean, it's such a great point you made, you've made it a couple of times now, but saying every investment has impacts because I think there was a sort of maybe a tendency to kind of characterize impact investing as investing in wind farms and vaccines for developing countries or something like that sort of thing, which is great things potentially to invest in. But that's kind of missing the point, which is that, like you said, every investment has an impact, like it or not, measure it or not, know about it or not. So could we try and put that a bit further center stage, but you're going to struggle to stick that into a model, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't think about it. We're on a journey, aren't we? And I'm sure the 1.0 versions of that modeling will look very basic in years to come as we develop and understand and learn and adapt. But I think we have to start. We have to start somewhere. It's funny, actually, you drew the parallel with the growth in the passive investing movement at the start of your career. I actually see a real parallel to the growth in the LDI investing movement that I saw at the start of my career. I think I feel quite fortunate to have joined the industry just when that was taking off. And of course, you look back now at some of the things we were doing at the very start, and it's like, oh, well, that was a waste of time because for whatever <laughs> reason, things developed in a completely different way, and you just didn't need to look at that in loads of detail. I couldn't agree more. I'm sure in a few years' time, it'll be like, oh, well, that was a bit of a silly, naive phase, wasn't it? But you've got to go through it. It's just the way progress happens. You learn so much along the way as well. That in itself is valuable, isn't it? I'd like to do a little bit of, I guess I'd probably refer to it as jargon busting. Just thinking about, particularly, I suppose, for pension schemes. So there's ESG, environmental social governance. There's climate risk. Clearly, that sort of sits in the ESG umbrella. You've got trustees who need to comply with their fiduciary duties to act in members' best financial interests. You've got ethical investing, which is different to investing with an ESG focus. Where does impact sit? I always use the spectrum of capital to explain the difference between ESG, sustainable and impact investing. And people that I've worked with find it helpful to understand because you go from being purely financially focused to purely impact focus, which is, of course, philanthropy. The philanthropist is prepared to lose money in order to achieve that positive impact. Responsible investing is where most pension funds are today in that they're taking ESG risks into account in their investment decision making or their asset managers are doing that for them. Sustainable investing is starting to bring more of a thematic view. So this might be where you shift your passive to low carbon passive, for example, or you might have an active mandate, which is sustainable, which has got some themes of low carbon or climate in it. Impact investing, I would say, is slightly different because that's a more intentional and positive decision. So now you're looking for solutions that will positively contribute to the challenges that the world faces. And then you go on to philanthropy, which is, of course, where you'd lose money, which is not suitable for a pension fund. That spectrum of capital is a good diagram, isn't there, that sets all that out. We should link to it in the show notes because we can't probably do it justice on an audio podcast. But I've seen that and it is really helpful, isn't it? It's a really nice way of kind of setting that out, I find. Yeah, exactly. So it's act to avoid harm, which is ESG, benefits all stakeholders, which is sustainable, and then contributes to solutions, which is impact investing. Fantastic. Thank you. One criticism I sometimes hear of sort of ESG is people 
drawing a false dichotomy, basically saying you're trying to turn all investors into charities kind of thing by doing this. It is just a straw man sort of false dichotomy type argument, I think. And when you look at it in terms of that spectrum and the definition of impact that you've already given, it shows there's just a lot more to it than that. Absolutely. And the world has changed. There are so many new strategies out there which still deliver to the fiduciary risk-adjusted returns that are required in a pension fund, but at the same time can actually do some good. So it's not charities, definitely not charitable investment. It's a new type of strategy, really, a new type of investment. It has been around, impact investing has been around for 15, 20 years, but I think it's the range of opportunities has absolutely exploded in the last three years. What do you think needs to change next, Karen? Is it that awareness that needs to expand or do we also need to see much more product development or both? I think awareness is something that is growing rapidly, but it still needs to grow further. I still speak to pension funds who are sitting firmly in the I don't want to listen camp. Fiduciary responsibility is always the excuse that's given. And actually, I always show them data from the Global Impact Investor Network, which shows that nearly 90% of impact investments deliver to the financial expectations that were set out when the investor first invested. And two thirds of that survey that the Global Impact Investor Network undertake are for market rate risk adjusted return opportunities. And so if you sort of push back a little bit and say, look, you've got to keep an open mind, then you can start to have the conversation. So, yeah, I mean, awareness continuing. I think there are actually things that need to change in asset management as well. I'm not going to be popular in saying this, but I think salaries in asset management and, dare I say it, in consulting as well, (laughs) are probably still quite inflated. And it means we're effectively overcharging hardworking members of pension schemes who struggle to make ends meet week on week. So I think if we're going to sort of start selling products that are achieving purpose, you need to sort of look internally, you know, do a bit of navel gazing and say, yeah, do I stack up? Diversity is another one. And I mean, a recent survey by CityWire on gender diversity showed that mixed teams perform best in all markets on risk. So it's really debunking this sort of myth that if you have women in your team, you're not going to do as well, not going to take as much risk as they're too conservative. It's not the case at all. And mixed teams consistently win on drawdowns as well. So you're not going to lose as much money. So I think just a bit of sort of self-reflection of the industry that we all three work in is something that needs to change. No, well said. I think you're probably spot on with all of those comments there. Obviously, some of them do hit quite close to home, but I think we need to be honest about that sort of stuff because, like you say, it's, it's some of that is quite systemic. On the diversity point, because it's really interesting, do you see a little bit of correlation between more diverse teams and a greater openness to impact investing in ESG? It's so refreshing, but I often now in this space have all female meetings. I think it has attracted a lot of women. Or perhaps it's the case that firms, when they first started introducing RI, thought, oh, somebody's got to do that. And oh, we'll give that to the women. I don't know. I mean, perhaps that's a little bit rude, but it's great to see a mixed gender balance and ethnic diversity as well coming through in impact investing. And that's got to be something where we encourage and nurture and try and have flexibility as well. I mean, it comes back to the point I was making about being flexible with employees to allow them, any staff, regardless of gender, who want to juggle work and a family together. It is interesting here because what you're talking about is more than just a different way of looking at investing or a different way of investing. You're sort of alluding to pretty wholesale changes in the industry. And I guess that's because the industry has sort of spent a few decades developing along one quite, you might say, myopic sort of 
path, which has maybe worked in inverted commas in some ways, but has left a lot out, I guess, right, which we're starting to realise, people are realising. When I started out in the city, it was in the 1980s and Margaret Thatcher was prime minister. If you remember the character of loads of money, loads of money was on TV all the time. I mean, it being laughed at, but also kind of being respected as, yeah, I'm going to just make loads of money. And I think we're in a very, very different environment now. And I really like your point about looking internally because it's the idea of walking the walk, isn't it? As a pensions consultancy, we can advise our pension schemes to take account of climate risk. But if we're not doing the same thing ourselves in the activity that we undertake, then it doesn't feel genuine anymore. So no, I really like that point. And I think we've got so much further to go on climate action. There's been so much talk, hasn't there? And so little action. And it's got to be driven by government. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but we need to act today. So Karen, we're really interested to hear a bit more about the sorts of conversations that you're having, I guess, both with asset managers, but also with the pension funds, particularly that you worked closely with. Are there any sort of interesting conversations you've had particularly recently? Well, it's been quite interesting because we work with pension funds through running workshops for them to help them try and work out their sense of direction and thinking about their investment beliefs. What we have seen is that there's some common themes that come through. We have the investment consultant in in those workshops as well. But certainly all the funds that we work with, they always prioritise climate change. That's kind of a no-brainer, really. But what we have seen, certainly in the past 18 months, were two key changes. First of all, health and well-being suddenly popped in as something that they want to prioritise, but that was no surprise. But what was more interesting was this, I think that just that suddenly attention was moving away from E and thinking, oh, there's S&G as well. And so what we've seen the demand for is a more holistic and blended approach to impact. So if they're thinking about investing in a social impact investing opportunity, they want to see the environmental impact as well. If they're investing in residential housing, has that housing thought about its climate footprint? And vice versa as well. So an environmental fund, what's going to be the impact on the community? What's the governance in the fund looking like? So I think that's an important message for asset managers. In terms of the conversations that we've had with asset managers, our conversations have really been about how to present their approaches to investors and sort of helping them understand what the pension fund priorities are in terms of the impact space. It's really interesting how those other competing priorities are working out. I mean, in some ways, I see all the work that's been done in putting frameworks around climate aware investing is sort of spilling over into benefits in other areas. Obviously, there's the task force for nature related financial disclosures, which is coming sort of modeled on TCFD. That's pretty interesting. And then starting to see some more frameworks around social kind of pillar as well, because that's, I guess, what you need is sort of framework to bring it together. I mean, don't know if you saw there's a really good share action report came out last week, I think week before, that was talking about health generally, and it proposed a scope one, two, three type framework for thinking about the health impacts of companies and made the point that almost every company has an impact on health, positive or negative. And it might be worth looking at those at a portfolio basis. So really early days there, but some really interesting ideas, I think. I think they are interesting. My fear is that pension funds will end up drowning in paperwork 
and having to tick this box and tick that box and that that will get in the way of action. We tend to prefer setting up discussion opportunities. So thinking about some of the social side, we're just about to, we've launched this already, but we're just about to sort of go live with it with a forum to discuss place-based impact investing. Now, these are opportunities that are delivering investment in a targeted place. So it might be a regional wind farm or infrastructure in an inner city or something like that. And I hope that by talking to each other, pension funds can then see a way forward rather than just thinking, oh, and I've got to do my TCFD report and my disclosure statement and my investment strategy statement, because my concern is that we won't move fast enough. There is a lot of that, isn't there? We definitely see that with our clients with statement investment principles. And then you've got the PRI, stewardship code, implementation statements, TCFD. And that's just on the climate side. It kind of feels, and we said this a few times before, that any new initiatives and regulations need to really try and align with what's there. Because regulations had a good role, I think, in bringing up the agenda and allowing people to take whole meetings to talk about it. But yeah, it can go too far and turn into just too much compliance. Karen, just when you were speaking, then I suppose a thought occurred to me. I've been mulling this over just generally anyway, but we're so fixed, particularly in the pensions world, we're so fixed at looking at investments by asset class. So I've got my equity proportion, my corporate bond proportion, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that impact investing is a good way to change that language? Because presumably you can have an impact investment in any asset class, really, because the point is the impact it's having and the point isn't necessarily exactly what it looks and feels like clearly there'll be some investors that have particular liquidity needs or that sort of thing but how is the conversation within impact investing when you then start talking about asset classes or does it just not really get raised the way we explain it to pension funds is that once they've come up with their priorities now that might be a set of sdg goals or it might be a set of themes we then talk to them about where on the spectrum of capital will you be most aligned? We don't talk about asset classes at all yet, which is where will you be most aligned? So if they go for something like gender diversity, they'll probably realise that actually being a responsible and engaged investor, voting, attending AGMs and so on, that's where they will be most effective at pushing forward the diversity priority that they've decided to align to. If they've gone for something like climate action, they're probably going to spread the whole of the spectrum of capital and have responsible, sustainable, thematic and even renewable energy. So they have impact investing. So I think impact investing fits in when you have that conversation in terms of where am I going to be most aligned? And there will be some goals which are you're most aligned if you are in impact investment. So if you decided that you want to try and address homelessness as a priority, then an impact investment is going to be most directly relevant for becoming aligned there. The challenge is then bringing that. So you said, I want impact investment to be aligned to this goal. The challenge is then bringing that back into the risk return modeling, because of course there, that probably is going to be asset class focused because of the nature of the modeling work. And so it may be that that's when the asset class link comes in, because actually, if you want to align to homelessness, that probably means you're going to be wanting to invest in residential property. So that then drives down into the asset class. I think it's going to be difficult to move away from asset classes, but I think they can sit side by side quite naturally. And presumably the difference between listed and private markets as well. I mean, I suppose often primary capital, you're talking about private markets where arguably you can have a bit more of an impact. Is that what you sort of tend to find? The term that is used in the impact space is about additionality. So is your capital having an additional 
impact or not. With listed, of course, it's shareholder money just exchanging hands. I'm not purist on this. I think there is a role for listed impact investing and there is a role for private markets impact investing. It's just about how far along the spectrum of capital are you able to go. And I think both can sit in a pension fund portfolio. I mean, of course, unlisted impact investment will have liquidity issues, will have scalability issues. So listed has the advantage there. You mentioned, obviously, the engagement side as well. So the stewardship and the voting side. I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think that's something that often goes under the radar. I think it's been underappreciated for a long, long time, maybe partly because it's just not as interesting as buying stuff, buying investments and talking about that. But that is a big area, maybe the biggest area where investors can have influence. And that's on the listed equity side, obviously. I'm a huge fan of engagement. I think you can really get massive change. And if you look at the local authority pension funds, for example, they've grouped together to form the local authority pension fund forum, LAPF, which by sort of aggregating investor money, they can have much more sway with their engagement than if each fund were acting individually. So I think there's scope to achieve a lot with engagement. As we start getting towards the end of this episode, I wondered what you are most focused on, I suppose, over the next 12 months, whether that's something that you're particularly excited about or particularly concerned about, what's kind of high on your radar? So I mentioned before about the place-based forum that we're launching, and I'm really interested in that agenda. I'd love to see social impact, especially being talked about at trustee level as much as environmental impact. So that's something that I'm really interested in. And it's going to take up my time over the next 12 months. COP26 is looming rather large on the horizon, isn't it? So I'm definitely going to be quite interested in what's coming up. I have to say, I'm not particularly optimistic that we'll have a radical sense of things happening, but we live in hope, don't we? Indeed. That's a couple of great things to focus on. Right. So Karen, what's one thing you'd like listeners to take away from this episode? I think stay open-minded is probably the thing that I'd most want people to take away. Be receptive to find out how the impact is being achieved in your investments. What impact are you having? So uh, do a baseline assessment. But most importantly, just stay open-minded and find out. And don't assume automatically that impact investing means you have to sacrifice returns. And Karen, what do you think is the most underappreciated thing about investing? Probably the importance of really understanding what you're investing in. Knowledge is so important. If you look at all the mistakes that have happened in the past, it's been because the ultimate investor didn't really understand what they were getting into. So impact investing is a new area and it's really important that funds do understand it. And just to give you an example here, I think that reputation risk is often underappreciated in social impact investing. So if you're trying to address social need through your investments, something happens, the press get hold of it, and suddenly XYZ Pension Fund is in the press for the wrong reasons. That's probably a really negative point to finish on, but I think it's really important that we go in with our eyes wide open because then mistakes won't be made and the results will hopefully be very positive. It's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because I often reflect that I feel over my career, there's been a shift from pension schemes having a portfolio of stocks to having a portfolio of funds, which then could have hundreds or even thousands of individual positions in, which does make it a bit harder to keep on top of what you're in. Absolutely. There's upsides to that whole thing as well. But yeah. Private equity investments with Wonga holdings were the thing that I spent a lot of time looking at a few years ago. So yeah, absolutely. Payday lenders. Karen, have you got any good recommendations for us? Books, podcasts, it doesn't have to be investment related, but happy if it is. Anything that you want listeners to know about? 
Most people will have listened to Mark Carney's Reef Lectures on purpose. But if you haven't, the December 2020, they were released. But if you haven't listened to them, you should, because it's a real reminder as to why purpose and investment is so critical if we're going to address climate change. In terms of a book, I think I'm going to recommend The Girl with a Louding Voice by Abby Dare. That's how you pronounce her surname. This is a book about a girl who's treated appallingly by her husband and then by her employer. It amounts ultimately to slave labour. But she fights really bravely to assert her own voice. It's a humbling reminder that there are still a lot of social issues in the world that get very little airtime in the press and they really do need to be addressed. So there, that's my recommendation for you today. Thank you very much, Karen. What a great recommendation. Thanks for that. Definitely check both of those out. And of course, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a fantastic conversation, clearly with quite a serious undertone, but I think really important conversation to have had. Thank you very much for having me here today. That's it from us this week on Investment Uncut. Please join us again next week for another episode. Take care. Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.